Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavney here on TRSI. Today is Wednesday, the 30th of the 9th. I am back here again today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Michael, what did you learn in your travels? What wonders can you tell us of? Um, many, many wonders. I, the the country is going through a, a small inherited uh, nervous breakdown, I think, uh, all over the gaff. I think we're going to roll the army out and start shooting we'll start off with shooting students and then we'll see after that we're going to get very worried about who we let into our prisons and who we're not letting into our universities it's getting very very fervid out there gary i think that if i could find a place that i could get to upon a cheap boat that would let me in i think i might go i was expecting a far less detailed sort of magic eight ball style of answer <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to go for that or you were going to say simply a great empire will fall a great empire will well I think a great empire you would, that could well be true I mean it was true when it was said I think it's always true what was the actual quote if if he crosses the river a great empire will be destroyed oh this was um, this was the, the oracle the, the, who, the king of Lydia was it uh was it uh, Croesus, was it? Uh, yes, 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 yes. It was Cyrus the Great. Um, Croesus had gone, he was going to war against Rome in Magna Graecia, in modern-day South Italy, in Sicily, so on, and was told that if he went, a great empire would fall. Of course, he a great, and of course, the problem was it was him. I think from that, I mean, it's a perfect answer in that regardless of what happens, it's going to be true. You're right every way. Which means... I mean, it's kind of like the Oracle was the first Big Four consultant. <laughs> or was it Pyrrhus? Was it Pyrrhus, maybe the Pyrrhic victory? I can't remember. It was one of those. It was a king from Asia Minor, anyway, who decided to get a bit bolshy against the Romans. And it all went, it all ended up quite badly, having consulted with the Delphic Oracle. But the, those Delphic Oracles, you see, they're, they're tricky. Like poor old Cassandra. Poor Cassandra, who had been the object of desire of the god Apollo, who was also the god of prophecy. When she rebuffed him, Cassandra was cursed with the gift of prophecy, where she would always be right, but never be heard. So I like to think of us as being, in a sense, maybe we are the descendants of Cassandra, Gary. Mm, and that created the phrase, a Cassandra truth. Mm -hmm. She, as I, I remember uh, from my intercert Latin days, we did a thing from Ovid, which was about the destruction of Troy. I can't remember the title of it. Really. Anyway, Cassandra with dishevelled hair. She saw the conflagration coming. <laughs> anyway, which was the, the burning of Troy. But of course, nobody, nobody believed her. So anyway, getting back to our own current Troy, Gary. I mean, there's, there's many options as to what's the current Troy, current Rome. Any of those classical things. But we could start with Trinity, Michael. Yeah, I, this is a great story. There are so, so many good things about this. I've really enjoyed this story, but not for the reasons that other people seem to be enjoying it. So the story is that Richard Dawkins had been invited over to speak at a student society in Trinity. Now, you might ask why we would care about this student society. Well, because this student society is the historical society which was founded by Edmund Burke. And therefore, we pay attention to it. Now, Trinity also has the Edmund 
Burke Award, where every year they try and degrade Edmund Burke's name professionally. <laughs> and I mean, I've listened, I've heard some of the retro, some of the transcripts, and looked at some of the winners. And I must say, they are doing a spectacular job debasing his legacy so far. But the hist, I mean, if the Edmund Burke War is the sledgehammer to the grave, the hist is sort of the kick in the shins. But they decided that they were going to cancel. Richard Dawkins, and they said that the comfort of their students is paramount and nothing can come above that, and that Richard Dawkins had views on Islam and sexual assault, which were unacceptable. And that seems to be where most people are going with the story. My favourite part of the story, and the fact I, I, I really love it, is that the head of the hist found this out by going onto Wikipedia and reading about Richard Dawkins. I think that is just weird. I, I, I don't know what it, what the story is these days, but back in the day, I was involved in the debating society in, in, in Maynooth, which was the literary and debating society, the L&D. And to become the auditor of the L&D was one of the two or three most prestigious jobs in student society life. You had to be connected. You had to be a, a bit of a student heavyweight. You had to be perceived to have some kind of gifts anyway to get that kind of job. And there were there was a debating society in UCD which was similar and I think Trinity had had two debating societies. The Hist was one, I think there's another which is maybe slightly more legalistic, more less uh, rumb- rambunctious. But the idea that this this uh, young woman who is the, the head of this august and ancient institution, Richard Dawkins, I mean you know the selfish gene, the invention of the meme. What's the phrase? I can never get. I can never get it right. He's one of the four horsemen. What do they call them? Harris and that the the, the philosopher um, whose name I always get confused. With I think the they're called the four horsemen. Um, Was it just the four horsemen? They were all. They were. They were, they were the new atheists. They were the the, the 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 vanguard of the new atheism, and he's a huge figure academically a huge figure and she had to look him up in wikipedia i mean <laughs> i mean god help us this is the creme de la creme in ireland's pre- premier university had to go to wikipedia to look up and to discover why richard dawkins was not a suitable person to come to speak in trinity that is just ju- it's joyful for all, I mean, Richard Dawkins now, I mean, I think a lot of people know him for stuff like the uh, God Delusion, stuff like that. Yeah. Where he'd be. But as Michael said, the selfish gene, and in that, the gene um, the gene selection theory the was an immensely influential thing. And this is not, this is a scientific, major scientific theory that just apparently passed everyone in Trinity by. Because not only, I mean, if you're if you're Wikipediaing him, that kind of indicates that no one around you can answer the question exactly who is Richard Dawkins. Yeah, I, they probably knew that he was a, against religion, because they might have seen him on YouTube, perhaps doing a conversation with Stephen Fry, uh, patting each other on the head and telling each other how how simply ghastly. This whole religious thing was this god nonsense. It was just dreadful, and having a jolly good old time about it. But that seems to be kind of the level of the whole, of 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 the experience. But now it is also worth just noticing the language. The word comfort, the comfort of our members, is uh, of 
primary importance to us, a primary care. The word comfort is used more than once. I can't help, but to me, the comfort of our members, does it not conjure up to you, Gary, this idea of a club with the kind of carpet that's inches thick, rooms full of deep old leather chairs where there's total silence because you're not actually allowed to talk in any of the rooms except one. There's one room where people are allowed to whisper in conversations where the only other noise is the crinkle of the newspapers and the crackle of the wood fire. And people sip on fine brandies and discuss the finer points of Heraclitian philosophy or the Greek tenses, the comfort. But it's basically also the idea of these are elderly people who cannot be exposed to noise or anything that more. God almighty. When I, again, I know this sounds such, such an owl man thing to say. When I was debating back in the day, a safe space, the last thing you could imagine a debate, a university debate to be, was a safe space. Well, that's the thing. They, they come in and say that comfort, we value our members' comfort above our else, is the quote from the auditor of the society. And I read it. <laughs> but you're a debating society. I've been in debates that have been deeply uncomfortable because I was losing. I have done and said things in debates which I look back, well, I didn't care. I I got the laugh I wanted. I made the point, and, and, but for the people that I was going after, the, the rules were you couldn't lie because you'd be caught. And if you were caught in a lie, it was a point of order. And you couldn't use certain kinds of words, language, which was either blasphemous or vulgar. But after that... You could make any kind of attack you wanted, and the more uncomfortable you made your opposition, the more success. God almighty, comfort of our members. It really doesn't make you think that uh, the standard of debate in the in the hist is going to be crackling, is it? If everybody's sitting there comfortably enjoying the whole experience. Oh, I mean, if the standard of debate isn't pathetic yet, with that sort of mindset, it rapidly will be. It'll be interesting to see, and I think I'll now have to keep an actual eye on who the hist is having speak there while this person is in charge to see exactly who comes forward, who, uh, let's say, is incredibly left-wing or progressive, Michael, Mm -hmm. but may not be comfortable to those around them. No, I would imagine the market abhors a vacuum. If the hist turns into the kind of place where there isn't anything really going on, Another society will invite the kinds of people that are going to be uncomfortable. If there is another debating society, they'll have them. If there isn't a debating society, will evolve or develop or will come into existence that will do that job for them, I'm sure. But, God, I'm sure Edmund Burke himself made more than one or two people in Parliament and in other places feel rather uncomfortable. Yeah, like when he crusaded against you know, the East Indian uh, trading company. Mm-hmm. Or all those times he was like, God, you know, it's terrible. Democracy. Yeah. It's just, it's just messy. It's horrible stuff. Horrible, horrible, that democracy. I mean, all we can say is he was definitely right about that. Well, I suppose um, we have, a, what, what do we want our students to do? Do you want them to become, I mean, these are students in Trinity behaving as they are. On the other hand, we have seen, Another side of student life in uh, in Galway, Freshers' Week in NUIG, 
which has caused uh i mean i don't know do you have do you ever listen to afternoon radio gary no i don't consume any media in this country that i don't have to i was in a position where i had to i i was exposed to some afternoon radio and the call-in programs you know they were losing their lives over these students, I'm sure that maybe the listeners are unaware, but you saw these the pictures, did you, Gary, of these throngs of students? I think it's Freshers Week or Freshers in Galway, uh, out behaving in in a non socially distant way. I did. I also saw suggestions that what we needed to do was uh, bring in the military and hunt them down like animals. I may I may have imagined the last part there. But I'm pretty sure the rest of it was solid. Well, <laughs> certainly that was. The, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, you know, when you, you're listening and you think, is this, is this Max Savage doing a bit on the radio? And then you think, is this Max Savage doing a really, really long bit on the radio, or is this actually all these people saying? You have to bring the army. I have to bring the army out. Now there's a certain kind of person, and it doesn't matter what's happening. If there's some kind of a crisis in the country, bring the army out. If the bins aren't being emptied, bring the army out. If there's, if there's more than two inches of snow, bring the army out. I mean, Michael, maybe we're being too hard on them. We know that living conditions, if you're a low rank in the army, are basically poverty level because yeah. we don't really care about our army, but we kind of mime platitudes at it every now and then, yeah. totally ignoring its effective organizational collapse and the fact that our security capabilities on pretty much any level including counter espionage and electronic security are uh, shit across the board maybe this is just an attempt to get them some overtime pay you know what if that's the case well then i applaud it uh lash out a bit of overtime i don't know do they get overtime the guards will get overtime. I don't know if the, if, if the army have overtime. But if they do, well, lash it out because the lads deserve it. They get paid a ridiculous wage for doing a job which when they are sent out on to do these things in the UN and whatever, they do exceptionally well. They have uh, well-deserved uh, a reputation in international peacekeeping for being really excellent at what they do being just really good guys so if that's the case for grand now you said hunt them down you see the thing is i don't know if you'd hunt them with the army if we, if we want to hunt them surely it would make more sense simply to hunt them no well we can't do that because we've given all the licenses to those people who want to shoot seals from boats yeah but gary there are unlike england we still have packs of hounds and horses men on horses we don't have to shoot them I mean, it would be a nice historical callback for Galway, particularly, as well. Galway Blazers. Yeah. Burn down part of the city while we're at it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Tradition. Tradition, indeed. Of course, we'd have to take stand back a little bit and say, well, there is a kind of a serious problem here. Uh, The pandemic is ongoing, and it does look very like that we have reached a point where the, the kind of coherent consensus that we had as a as a nation is fraying it's breaking down i think that the government has to take a degree of responsibility for that there's 
a lack of consistency, a lack of coherence, a failure in communication, there's a lack of clarity that doesn't... I'm paying attention to this. I'm following it. And I don't have any sense that, the, that there is a plan, that there is any kind of a sense of a shape to what they're doing rather than simply a reactive day in, day out. Oh, well, what can we do today? What can we do today? Well, we we have to think of something to do, even if we don't know what to So, So we're presented with young people behaving like this. Now, some people, what do you think of this? Some people say that the, what's happened in Galway is proof positive that it's a waste of time talking about Swedish models. That the Swedes and ourselves, we are culturally different. That the Swedes were given the, the, the shall we say, they were given the choice or the right or the duty to behave responsibly as citizens, and they have done so. Whereas here, when you give people a little bit of freedom, you, you give them an inch, they take a mile, that young people seem to be behaving. And this is something I'm hearing a lot from reasonable people, Gary, like talking to teachers in Dublin, they'll tell you that the, their students, they have absolutely no sense that the pandemic, that the that COVID represents any kind of a threat to them, that basically it's something that happens to other people and that, they're, that whatever kinds of behaviours were happening previously that were as regards social distancing and keeping contacts down, that that's rapidly falling apart. Uh, but that we have, we don't have that kind of civic maturity. Is that the word? We don't have that inculcated in our young folks to allow them to just make this choice for themselves so that we we are left only with Government regulation and coercion. I mean, you could just bring back caning. We could. I mean, like, Asian caning. Now, why do you say... It just sounds like a sex act, but I mean the type of caning undertaken in Asian countries. Like the Philippines. Right. Go on. I'm interested. I just, you know, as a connoisseur of these things, Michael, I just think they're the most effective. You see, Gary, again, by saying uh, as a connoisseur, it does kind of, you're bringing back that sort of vaguely sexual sense to this thing, you know? (laughs) I spent my entire day researching this Barbie Cardassian case. So vaguely sexual has pretty much the, uh, actually, now most of that wasn't even vaguely sexual. Before we get to Barbie, we should try and dispose a little bit of the, uh, this. Seriously, though, what do we do? What do you do with kids like this now? But I, the police should obviously move them on. I mean, in America, people just got expelled from their universities with no refund of their fees. Mm-hmm. If they were involved in stuff like this off campus because they were deemed, well, two things. They were deemed a threat to the campus itself. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they were deemed a threat to the college's reputation. Yeah. Well, I think you can't do that unless you've told people you're going to do that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know why the police aren't, uh, don't appear to be stepping in when we see things like this. Now, obviously, you need a certain amount of police to actually break up something like that. Do we have water cannons? I actually don't know. I actually don't know what, what Irish police's uh, anti-riot kind of toolkit is like. I'll tell you, I used to occasionally go to the football in the San Siro, you know, and on one occasion, the, the misfortune to go the, uh, get the wrong tickets to go when Milan were playing. It was a derby match, 
And I can tell you, if you want a properly organized riot squad, the French, the Italians, the Spanish, they know how to do this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's why I really enjoyed during the, uh, during the recent troubles in America, the EU coming out and saying that we would never countenance such a style of uh, riot policing in Europe. Because all I could imagine was the French, Spanish and Italians just awkwardly looking in other directions. Particularly the French. They have these long sticks. They're like, I don't know, five, six, but they're, they're bendy, like big bendy rubber. And they're like, they're like flails. You know what I mean? Have you, you know what, are you aware of what I'm talking about? These, and they wield them, thwack, thwack, all around the place. By God, they get stuck in. And they have, of course, the water cannons. And the, I think the water in the water cannons is also laced with something, which is unpleasant. No, they will they will disperse a, a bunch of carousers on the cladder. They would disperse them pretty handy. It would not be a problem. I think our lads would have a problem. I don't think they just, I don't think they have the gear for it. So maybe that's why we need the army. What we need is there's a, there's a device you can get, Michael. Yeah. And it basically just looks like a radar dish. It's usually mounted on top of vans. And my understanding is that it agitates the water molecules in your body, on your skin. Oh, God. As you step closer and closer to it. So it won't, you won't look like anything is happening. But I'm told it is an excruciating level of pain. But you can stop it by just backing away. So they just tend to put them in fixed places. And then you're like, okay, knock yourself out. Somebody was asking me today, but what, how is it the Italians are doing so well at the moment? And we seem to, we, we, what are they doing how, how, with infections? How, how is it that there's this perception that Italy is this terribly chaotic place and nobody obeys the rules, etc.? And I wonder if the problem with Ireland is that we're kind of halfway between one place and the other. The Swedes and the, Nor the Nordic types have this very highly developed, sophisticated sense of civic responsibility. And they're very mature and they're very good and lovely. And the Italians, on the other hand, have this sense of if the police aren't going to do it, that they will organise their own kind of policing. I, what I'm thinking of here is I remember talking to a friend of mine who was a Neapolitan living in Milan for many years. And he'd been just he'd just been here talking to friends in Naples. This was... Oh, that's a few months ago now, but the Italians had adopted at that stage long before here pretty well universal mask wearing when you went out. And Naples would probably be the most chaotic city in in, in Italy, I'd say, even more, more so than Palermo, and full of individuals, shall we say, Gary, individuals. Anyway, three young individuals arrived in a supermarket and they weren't wearing masks. And it was pointed out to them by the security guy there, whose job it was, that they couldn't come in without the masks. And they told him that they should, he should go elsewhere. Well, the shoppers in the supermarket took a firm view about it, Gary, and they kicked the shit out of the three of them. Now, I can't imagine that happening in Cornell's court. But you know what? It produced a result that pretty soon, even young individuals decided that the best policy for everybody was just to do what you were, you were expected to do by the by social convention. Because if the guards weren't kicking shit, uh, shit out of you, the locals were. And we seem to be sort of between. We won't take the law and we, all we'll do is we'll stand back and we'll toss and go, look at that, not wearing a mask. But we haven't got to the point where people are just not wearing masks. It's, it, we're, we're just stuck somewhere on this Latin Nordic axis. We're in the wrong place. 
Anyway, you mentioned, and I think this is something that the, the listener needs to hear about rather than this kind of nonsense, which is the case of, and I, I, I'm sorry, I feel ridiculous, Barbie Kardashian. Yeah, you only have to say it a couple of times. I had to write it about 200. And you, you haven't had fun until you're writing this about like someone's psych assessments about how this person has uh, fantasies of raping women. And you're just like, Barbie has fantasies of raping women. It's just not a serious sentence. And yes, it's a very, very serious sentence indeed. Yes, no, in this case, it's very serious. I mean, I did talk about this in the show when you weren't here, Michael, because, you know, one monkey doesn't stop the show, as they say. Indeed. And uh, particularly when that monkey isn't the monkey that edits. <laughs> and uh, I think the only thing that's changed since then is that now we know that she has actually been sent to a women's prison. Uh, instead of just requested that she be sent to a women's prison, the department, the director of public prosecution, sorry, is preparing a file. Uh, it looks like the forces of the state have decided that this is a person who cannot be let onto the streets, which, from what I've seen of her psych evaluations, would seem to be a very accurate reading. Well, aware that this had been touched more than touched on before there is the reason i wanted just to advert to was was the fact that this person is now in prison for a specific reason when this i was going to say this discussion was being had by the we never had a discussion about this unlike in britain where they've had a very public and at times rather rancorous discussion about the 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 approach that should, the best legal approach to this, the whole question of identity and transgenderism. When people like thee and me would say, well, if you do that, you'll have a situation where X, Y, and Z will happen. And people would describe, you know, sort of these terrible potential outcomes. And is it not the case, Gary? We were told, no, 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 that's nonsense. Paranoid right-wing nonsense. That could never happen. Be in total abligation of the state's responsibility to protect women and children. Couldn't happen. And as I said to you before, Gary, you know that I have I, just constitutionally how much I hate saying I told you so. It's just it's something I just don't know. But I think in this case, Gary, it's time to, we can we can join hands and run around and say, I told you so. But it's in a horrible situation. A, a person who is a clear and obvious and intentional and intended threat to women. And is not trying to hide it. Is openly telling people they want to uh, abuse, torture, rape and murder women. And who all of the clinicians I saw see... The, the general tone seemed to be, we don't think this person has gender dysphoria at all. Right. We don't think they're transgender. But, and I think it is important, Michael, to, we didn't have a debate about this. We didn't have, we are one of four countries in the world that allows self-identification as uh, enough to change your gender. Now, I, what I'll do in this, just in case the listener is interested, I will put a link to the form you have to fill out. To change your gender in Ireland. The single form. It is harder to open a bank account. Oh, considerably harder. Yeah. They care about money laundering. And the thought that maybe you're not doing something legitimate. But uh, 
I think it might be important to, to talk about why, or more mention, why we didn't have a debate about this. And the rumour. Now, I can't prove that this is true, but I've been told it is. The rumour that went around was that during the marriage equality referendum, yes, there was a concern that transgender activists were mental and could lead to a situation because they would say something or do something crazy that could lead to the referendum being lost. Well, there was one early, very early on in in the in the campaign. There was one television program where there were it was perceived after the show that some individuals had not helped the argument with Middle Ireland. Those individuals never appeared again. And some people were wondering why. Yes, and the what was alleged to have happened was that they were taken aside and told that if they vacated the pitch for the length of the game and the referendum passed, that they would be given a self-identification gender recognition law, which is exactly what passed quite shortly thereafter. Very shortly thereafter, yeah. Without really any discussion or notification. And actually, I don't think most Irish people are even aware of it. They're not. I mean, I I would go back to my old focus group in my local. Occasionally something would come up and I would say, well, you know what the law in this country is? And I would tell them what the law is. I'd say, we have one of the most radical laws in the world about it. And this is what the law says. And again and again, people look at me and say, no, that's stupid. That couldn't be the law. They just, no, no, that's no way. That would be just ridiculous. You couldn't do that. And uh, the the reaction is obviously this is just crazy right-wing Michael inventing stuff to make people think badly of our perfectly nice and decent government because no reasonable person would pass a law like that. And there surely would have been debate about it. And it would have been in the papers, wouldn't it? Well, I'm sure it was in the papers, but not... To a great, there was no great massive debate about it or discussion about it. No, we saw Gary that when they were talking about, shall we say, expanding or evolving the the the, 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 uh, the legislation, a lot of those discussions happened basically in camera. These discussions were private, a process which was mimicked. It it seems to be the case was mimicked in the United Kingdom because the one of the MPs who was pushing the self-identity issue and they said, uh, has been, been quoted or tweeted, said that he, well, he's very angry about the uh, the change in policy in the UK because it was it running against what had been consistently been the direction that they had been following in the private conversations they had had leading up to the parliamentary debate. Now, I think we've talked about this before, Gary, but it has come into the public domain some of the advice that's given uh, internationally to advocacy groups on this issue, that one of the things they are told to do is not to make it into a big public debate, but rather to lobby directly and privately politicians. Yes, I, I in fact remember that document. Uh, I remember it becoming public. And I remember that section that the, you didn't want the public getting involved because the public might not know a lot about this. Where if you could get it passed quietly, you know, through people you can actually influence on an individual level, 
that would absolutely be the way to do it. But we uh, we didn't have a discussion here about it. We brought it in. Now, the Law Society Gazette did talk about this law last year. And it's hard to tell with an article if they're just quoting certain people or they're quoting certain people because they agree with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But the quotes in that article basically said, pretty explicitly actually, that the government didn't understand this area and didn't think this would happen. Now, they wrote that article in relation to the news that another transgender uh, woman had been sent to Limerick, the women's section in Limerick prison. That person has also just self-identified. They haven't had hormonal or surgical intervention. Would you like to know what that person was uh, convicted of, Michael? Um, I'd, yes, I'd like to know. At uh, 10 counts of sexual assault and one count of cruelty to a child. Right, so... Barbie Kardashian case is, I think... If you had asked someone who was against the self-ID laws to put together the worst conceivable situation that could happen due to these laws, I think they would have probably stopped short of the situation that has managed to arise. Mm-hmm. On the basic assumption that... You know, there has to be, at some point, someone has to go, lads, is this not a bit mental, though? Yeah, we're, 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 we're kind of straying into, like, uh, a Stephen King, Thomas Harris novel scenario here. Yeah, there's a sort of, oh, and they, they actively want to rape and mutilate women. You're like, yes, and they've tried to kill a woman before? Oh, of course. And sexual assault? Of course. And uh, just on and on and more and just the psych assessments are not kind or perhaps very kind but they don't paint a picture the interesting thing about the psych assessments is the psych assessments all agree that barbie kardashian does not have a mental disorder right they say she has a personality type that this is her personality it's callous it's unemotional it's emotionally unstable as well and that she doesn't see violence, physical or sexual, in a standard moral framework. Mm. So, is perfectly willing to hurt others, does not see it as wrong. Whether that is physical violence, sexual violence, and is obsessed with the idea of control and achieving that control through violence. And uh, this is the person we have decided is now going to be held in a women's prison. Now thing there you might think well they'll just put her in solitary confinement solitary confinement indefinite solitary confinement is a breach of your human rights yes so eventually they're going to have to put them into the general population and now the penal reform trust are saying that what they want to see is more guards greater monitoring but not isolation Uh, to which i would say you, you can't watch someone every minute of every day in a prison when they are dealing with the general population. No. No, it's just not It's not possible. But, uh, yeah, this is a, a uh, total shit show, to be frank. It just... Uh, we've done this... You've done this, so I don't want to, to drag it out, but I just want to iterate again that there was an incredible lack of awareness, it seems to me. You could call it a naivete, I don't know what. To, to, to pass a law which says that you would consent by a simple declaration effectively you can change your gender identity and there is absolutely nothing you can in law do about that you the notion 
I've said said to you before, I'm friends with I am I would love to find a job being advertised that falls within certain categories, which means that it's it it that the there is a preferential choice for women to be employed in this for whatever reason. Something say in local government or an NGO or something, a, a position. There are not many of them that I might possibly be qualified to do. And to present myself self-identifying as a woman. Because if even if if there is there is no requirement in any way, shape, or form that I should have or should have to be able to demonstrate any kind of good faith that I do actually believe myself to be misgendered or was born misgendered. Once once I've made this statement, if they were to ask me a question as if to say, but uh, you, for example, you're aware that this position is for a woman, I would say that that would be a prima facie case that I could take for discrimination because I am a woman and they have no right to bring that up. I have, I am a woman. I'm a woman called Michael Dwyer with a beard and all the other accoutrements normally associated with not being a woman. But that doesn't matter. When I saw the photos of Barbie Kardashian and the name and you read the psych reports and you, you see what they're saying about how it's basically impossible to determine if she actually has gender dysphoria because she has educated herself as to the strict criteria of the um, of the diagnosis. And because of that, you, you can't be sure if what she's saying is true or not, given that she's also falsified medical records before. Mm-hmm. And there's this weird thing of no one is willing to go, maybe she's lying, though. Yeah. Maybe she's just, like, not wrong. Maybe she's just fucking lying. But, Gary, the point is, surely, that it is utterly irrelevant whether or not she has dysphoria or she is lying, as far as the law is concerned. Well, under Irish law, yes, under self-ID, you don't need to to have dysphoria. All you have to do is say that you want to live as a, a certain gender. But there is a point, I mean, where you're looking at a photo of someone who looks like they like were shot in the face with the makeup shotgun and has a name that just seems like a piss take. Yeah. And, I mean, as I said, I've seen more tasteful drag acts and more tasteful drag acts that adhere more to actual femininity than Barbie Kardashian. And the name itself feels like you're being trolled. I mean, what about, and this is just a consideration, what if they're just fucking lying? Yeah. Because they want to hurt women. And I think, you know, I'm, I will take the controversial position, Michael, that I don't think we should find someone who said they want to rape, torture and abuse and then kill women and put them into a facility full of vulnerable women with no escape. I just don't think that's that should be done. Now, I know politically that makes me an outcast right now, but that's just the hill I've, uh, I've decided to die on. But, Gary, we're, 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 obviously, we're talking about this extreme here, but this is what people, like groups like the LGB group have been campaigning about, the, shall we say, sex rights, so the rights of women to women-only spaces. We're talking about a prison. Like, at least in a prison, you're talking about some kind of a monitored, protected, secure environment, to a limited degree, perhaps, but to a degree. What happens when somebody like this presents themselves to a women's shelter, uh, which is a, a shelter funded by the state, and which has in law no right to refuse this person 
because this person is a woman. Well, interestingly enough, this actually was a situation that happened in Canada. I reported on, I did an interview with uh, one of the women's groups involved. Nearly every women's refuge in Canada now accepts uh, transgender women because they it's, it's a risk to their funding. There's one or two generally kind of radical feminist ones that don't. Uh, but for the vast majority, we'll ha- we're effectively forced to do it in order to keep access to state funding. It's only those who can fund themselves nearly entirely through private donations that don't have to do it. And the ones that didn't do it came in for quite explicit campaigns of harassment from trans activists. Like there was a uh, one of the Canadian ones, and this was a, a this was a Beaton's Woman Shelter as well, and they had like groups for women, female empowerment for abuse survivors, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, people were breaking windows, they were nailing dead rats to their door. The sort of stuff, the sort of stuff that seems to be, I don't want to say standard for transgender activists, but there is a subgroup of transgender activists who are just awful people. And it seems to be disproportionate to the awful people in most causes. Yeah, I I, I, I do feel that I'd like to make at least the observation that historically, trans people are not violent. And yeah, there is an important delineation there between transgender people and transgender activists. And between transgender people, people with gender dysphoria and people genuinely transgender, and the, the individual we're talking about, and people who could be perfectly capable of using the kinds of laws that we have in, the, in this country to be able to get at vulnerable women. There is no literature suggesting, and actually the, the reverse, is the old literature when transgenderism was a very, very small issue, suggested that transgender people tend to be rather passive, not violent, uh, not aggressive. So, I mean, I don't want in any sense to suggest that people who are transgender or people with gender dysphoria are these kind, are sort of horrible, psychotic, um, psychopathic, rapist-type people. That's not the case. But there are people like that, Gary, who are out there and who have, who, who won't, who will see an opportunity in this and they will not blink to take that opportunity to simply sign a piece of paper so they can put themselves in a position. I mean, can you imagine if somebody like this person was to arrive into a place where women who had suffered physical and sexual abuse are there with their children in a place to, to, which was designed to try and make them feel safe and somebody like this was to come into their midst. It would be terrifying. There is an interesting point for you, Michael. When I was going through the, the reports, the risk assessments and the reports about Barbie Kardashian, she was in a women's refuge before because her mother fled her father, who was uh, physically, mentally, and sexually abusive to her Mm -hmm. uh, when she was 8 or 10. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, By that point, Barbie had been effectively apprenticed to her father and was carrying out part of the abuse against her mother. So the staff in the women's refuge were uh, immensely concerned about the level of violence that Barbie, already at 8 or 10, was carrying out on her mother. God. Um, her mother, by the way, is one of the two people she was arrested for threatening to kill. So, And, like, 
this is a consistent behavior with this person from about 10. They are clearly predatory. They are clearly dangerous. And everyone is just so... But they say they're a woman. And to be honest, my opinion of that is like... So? Who the fuck cares? It was a terrible law and this is what has happened. Mm -hmm. But you let this happen. And if you truly believe you can change your gender purely by a statement... Well, then this, you have to accept that these people, anyone, anyone who is predatory, can now gain access to all of these spaces. And if you are uncomfortable with that, then you don't really think that person is a woman, do you? What? Uh, I, 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 I don't get into this. I, I, want, I, I feel like asking the question, but I don't, in a sense, want to, because I think it's just, just a, a sinkhole, which is... How many of the TDs in the door that day who voted for this bill actually believe, truly, genuinely believe that you this you can sign this piece of paper and you are now a woman in the same way as their mother is a woman, as their sister is a woman? I mean, we've reached a level of emperor's new clothes, nonsense, bullshittery, dedicated to it an ideological perspective at the sacrifice of what basic connection with reality. You know, Michael, I don't know, but that might be something for me to chase up tomorrow. Maybe not that question, but a question to all of the TDs who voted for this who are still here, because this was only 2015. Yeah. And maybe to ask them, you know, just how they think things are going. Yeah. (laughs) How's it working out for you, lads? You happy? So there was one thing, Michael, I wanted to uh, run by you quickly before yes. you uh, before we left. Because I ran into this the other day and you weren't here for me to complain to about it. Okay. So David McWilliams wrote a new column called The Better the Economy Does, The More COVID-19 Spreads. Okay. And the success of David McWilliams confuses me and I don't think about it because it doesn't make sense to me. No, no. Because he's not a good economist. He's not a good writer. I don't know what his point is. But yet he just keeps getting more successful. But anyway, Michael, he in this starts talking about Mesopotamia. Okay. He says that Mesopotamia was where the first economies emerged, which is Mm. for a very specific type of economy, you can make the argument. But economy in general, no, that's that's not true at all. Other particular forms of economy, yeah, you can you can do it there. But there's there's some great there's some great sentences. I just want to to run one by you, because you know he talks about Sumerians for and it was this. So uh, once the Sumerians had money, they could measure the future because they could say to each other, "I will lend you one shekel today, and you will have to pay me back two shekels next year." What? You can measure the future. Once you have money, Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some more on that, Gary. Um, that's, that's all there is. Hmm. The Sumerians allowed interest, did they? I actually don't know if the Sumerians allowed uh, usury. Usury? Uh, most of those early pre-classical civilizations didn't tend to allow the paying of interest on loans. Um... I'm, is he saying that the Sumerians 
were proto-Austrians in that they discovered the notion of time preference in in monetary theory? Well, the, the thing I really enjoyed about it is if you can say to someone, I will lend you one of anything today and you'll pay me back two of it next year, you have a calendar system. Okay. A calendar system, what do you need the money to measure time for? Also, he seems to not think that you couldn't do exactly the same fucking thing with the barter system. I will give you one sheep today, and you will give me two next year. I... He also says, he says, by putting a monetary price on the future, the ancients could calculate risk and form opinions and probabilities about conditions next year. If an ancient trader was optimistic, he bought a slave, one of the main commodities back then, hoping to sell the slave later and make a profit. Um... I'm I, I, I'm not sufficiently expert on Sumerian economics uh, to critique it historically, but the first thing, as I said, I would like to know is what the what the Sumerians did in fact think about the charging of interest on loans. And I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, by the way, that they would allow what was effectively a hundred percent interest rate. Well, I think I think that um, what is it, the Code of Hammurabi? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that did allow interest on certain loans, but I think it was also capped at maximum rates. So for, for those who don't know, the, the Code of uh, Hammurabi, Hammurabi? I, Hammurabi, I have no idea how to pronounce this. I'm not even going to try. It's, uh, I think it may be the earliest yeah, it's what the, preserved yeah, legal yeah, code yeah. of human history, yeah. which is why I know it. I'm not an expert on ancient laws in general. Um, and it, all it is is a collection of, of laws. Um, mostly um, dealing with borrowers and lenders. And what happens if your ass goes into someone else's field and eat, eats somebody else's corn? Yeah, it's, it's currently in the Louvre. And lovely place for it. But hold on, can, can we rewind just a second there? Uh, the slave, he could buy a slave on the basis that he could sell it later. And it'd be, what's the point of that sentence? I mean... No, not a single mention of Mesopotamia, Sumeria, anything like that has any function in this story. It's like he was being paid by the word. It's like he was Dickens. If he was positive about the future, you'd buy a slave. But And I like in brackets, one of the main commodities back then. Well, again, I, 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 I don't know. I mean... There were certainly slaves, but I. Were were the were the the Sumerians big slave owners? I, I they well, were. They, they took slaves as part of war, and then they were. I I I'm kind of skeptical. I don't. That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, these cities, like the city Ur of the Chaldees that Abraham came from, and these places in summer, Babylon. They weren't very big cities for our. There were a few thousand people. Um, I would have thought Egypt was the first great slaving society. Well, I mean, the Sumerians would have, I would have had slaves. They would have slaves. That unemployed, had... debtors, and people like that. The main commodity, I would, have thought, I would have thought that copper was, if you wanted to talk about commodities, copper was a, was a, a commodity. Corn was a big commodity. Beer was a big commodity. Barley was a big commodity, but... Whatever, whatever about the, the correctness of it, because the, the economic point, arguable, the calendar point, nonsense. 
or the, the money being counterpoint nonsense buying a slave fine whatever it's it's things like the little like brackets one of the main commodities back then it's so earnest it's so and it's all the entire thing is pointless like the article isn't good anyway i, I just struggled to see what the what why why it's set in samaria or some the sumerian summer why what's the particularity of that that's going to, that is telling us anything about the state of the Irish economy today and COVID. What's the point? Maybe it is an oblique reference to Nurgle. You're going to have to help me again here, Gary. Um, You're Nurgle? Yeah, Nurgle. It was the, uh, it's a Mesopotamian god of plague. Oh, of course. Sorry. (laughs) Naturally, yes, of course. Nurgle is a a really well-known god. That, That Nurgle, of course, yes. Naturally, yes. Um, I mean, he's not like Enlil, but he was—he was a big deal. I'm—I'm I'm more an Ashtar, Baal kind of a guy, you know. Really, I personally, I was always fond of Eris. Eris is an Irish one, isn't it? No, Eris, uh, the Greek god, started the Trojan War because she wasn't invited to a party. Oh, right. Well, starts throwing around golden apples, which I think is confirmation that you cannot trust. Strange women bearing fruits. I thought this Trojan War started because there was uh, Paris had to judge a beauty a judgment contest. Judgment of Paris, but yes, but the beauty contest happened because Eris wasn't invited to a divine wedding, and she threw in a golden apple, which I believe had engraved on a calistri. I'm not right. sure how that's pronounced, which meant to the fairest. Yes, and the goddesses started to argue about it, and it was decided that Paris, being the wisest man would be called upon to offer his judgment. Well, not the wisest man, but the man who had, who had an eye for the ladies. The, the wisest man who was open to easy sources of bribery. <laughs> well, he liked ladies. He had a reputation for knowing what a beautiful woman liked. Oh. Of course, he ends up taking uh, Agamemnon's wife, Helen, Agamemnon's wife. And everything worked out splendidly. Everything worked out splendidly, indeed. I mean, I read the start of the book and then just kind of skipped through, so I'm pretty sure that's... It all ended on that level. You see, the thing about Williams, I have actually created a a category for Williams, for people like you that worry about these things or don't worry about these things. Williams is what I have called, he falls in the category of what I call small mysteries of Irish life. You look at them, you can't work out quite what they're for or why they're there or how they persist or what their source of their success is. It's just, none of it makes sense. And if you keep thinking about it, it just drives you mad. Fintan O'Toole, for example, I would have put into that category once upon a time. Briefly, I had Brenda O'Connor. There are lots of people that go into it. But the easiest thing is you just you put them in there and you say, a small mystery of Irish life. And then you just put them in there and you don't have to worry about them anymore because that's all they are. It's a small mystery of Irish life. And I know they're being paid to do this, but like, let's say someone like Una Malali, who will oftentimes put forward things I think are wrong-headed or stupid, but are at least a viewpoint. Mm. And then you get McWilliams, who you read an article by McWilliams, and then as you're reading it, it's erasing itself from your memory because there's no content to it. It's just relatively well presented babble but he has floppy hair and a podcast and you know you can trust people 
who uh, have podcasts. Oh, well, of course, yes. Absolutely. should always trust people with podcasts. Well-known, decent, upstanding types. But you can't see floppy hair on a podcast, can you? But Not does. yet, but I mean, we, we live in hope that technology will progress. And he can flop it and flick it back, and it's very useful. Can you imagine like, people investing based on David McWilliams' advice? How hard it would be when they lose all their money not to simply go, well, yes, you deserve that. You know what? The man might be an absolute whiz when it comes to investing. At the end of the day, whether you, you're a, a, a graph guy or you believe in random walk theory or you just put up a page of the Financial Times and you throw darts at it. Every every system seems to work as well as any other. So maybe yeah, David... I mean, that's possible in the same way that if you walk in, there's a child in the corner eating glue directly from the tub. It's possible they're a fantastic pianist. It's just not likely. You think it's less likely anyway. Yeah, well, okay, I'll, I'll take that. Anyway, um, I feel that you have got that off your chest and maybe that's a, a suitable I had, I had a week to just build up. <laughs> Because it is nonsense about economics. I can just, I can let go because I'm not involved in the economics field. But I like ancient history. And as soon as I got to Mesopotamia, I was like, he's going to fucking mangle this. Because he's always, he's always kind of right about stuff. <laughs> like, he's wickied it. Like, he's looked at it. Did he and get, then he stops. Did Gilgamesh appear in the story at all? I'm waiting. Gilgamesh slays the plandemic. <laughs> or pandeshin. I've just put the two words together. But he, he's always got enough that if you know nothing about the area, you might go, that seems insightful. And if you know anything about it, you simply stand there going, this is gibberish. This is like total horseshit. Who are you? Okay, I think I go back to my previous point and I say, I think... Okay, now yeah, I've had enough. No, I've, I've had enough. You've had enough. I'm cutting myself and we'll, off. And we'll 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 we'll, tr we'll draw a veil over that. We will return on uh, what day will we return, Yuri? Friday. Friday, I believe. We'll return on Friday, assuming that we're all given. It is given to us by the divine providence to be still here to return, and until then, we will say, mind yourselves, keep well, don't go to the cladder, stay at home, and be decent people. And goodbye. All the best.